Hello, welcome to Japanatron. My name's Dave Pavlina, and Japanatron is a podcast all about uh, life in Japan and Japanese culture. And you know what? You should know my name by now. Okay, this is like episode 28, so I don't know. Maybe I do. Do I still need to say my name? You know, uh, I guess so. Um, today's topic um, is a little academic. I want to um, present some Japanese uh, study tips when you're learning the language. And um, specifically some shortcuts that have really um, aided me in the quest to learn this often puzzling language. Uh, oh my god, this thing has uh, really uh, <laughs> given, a run, given me a run for my money uh, in studying it over the years. Um, so these are some shortcuts that have really explained uh, rather challenging topics uh, for me in a very compact and convenient way. Um... So, first, a little bit about myself. Uh, we're we're going to talk about me for now. We're not going to talk about you. <laughs> we're going to talk about me. Um, number one, I suck at foreign language, okay? I just do. It's just not in my DNA. It's a struggle for me. It always has been. Um, you know, and you sometimes meet people that just have the gift of language. You know, they just pick up, you know, one, two, three, four, five languages or whatever, and they just navigate between them, and they're just gods at language, you know, and that's that's the skill that God or the Creator or whatever uh, has given this person, and they are just amazing at that. They suck at other things, but language is not one of the things they suck at. Everyone has talents, right? And also, everyone has things that they totally suck at. And uh, language is one of those things I just really kind of uh, suck at. <laughs> uh, I struggle with it. Um, also, these tips are from a Westerner American perspective, of course, uh, as always, it kind of reverberates throughout all the episodes of my podcast. I'm an American dude from LA, and uh, that's the perspective you're going to get when listening to this. So sorry about that. If that's not what you're looking for, uh, maybe look for another podcast, you know, one done by uh, a Korean dude living in uh, Tokyo or something like that. Um, so it's going to be biased in that sense. Okay, so let's jump into this. Um, the first tip uh, is about wa versus ga. Wow, you know this one, wa versus ga. Um, we struggle with this. Japanese learners struggle with this. Um, you gonna use wa? You gonna use ga? Which one are you doing with? Which which one are you gonna want with going with? Um, and um, you know, oftentimes I just drop it. <laughs> <laughs> because I hear in conversational Japanese, uh, people when they're speaking, they drop the uh, the part the the particle anyway. So you know what? I'll just let the listener uh, figure it out. <laughs> because I I don't know. I'm too scared. I'm too scared to pick one. Because I don't know if I'm right or wrong on this. Uh, wa versus ga. The the cool thing about this too is yeah we struggle with wa versus ga. But uh, the thing I like about English is that we have given Japanese uh, the the versus a uh, uh, struggle. So they struggle with the versus a, uh, and we can struggle with wa versus ga. So the world is fair, right? <laughs> you know, we, we <laughs> they, they got that problem, and we got this problem. So it's all fair and happy, okay? It's all fair and love and war when learning this language. Okay, 
The best explanation I think I've ever heard that summarizes Wah versus Ga and the, uh, you know, a nice shortcut to think about uh, is in a book called Making Sense of Japanese by Jay Rubin. And he said that the, the best way to think of Wa is as for. You know, it's as, as for this. Um, you know, watashi wa, as for me. Okay? And it's a really nice, convenient way to think of it. Uh, because when you think of that's what wa is doing, that's what the topic is. Because I've always struggled, what's the topic versus the subject? Like, are they kind of the same? Yeah, they might be the same, uh, but they might actually not be. Ga is the grammatical subject, speaking strictly grammar-wise, whereas wa is the topic. It's like, as for this, it kind of sets up contrast. And, you know, you ask native Japanese speakers, and they really can't explain it. It's just kind of like native English speakers can't really explain the versus a. Why did you choose the instead of a there? And there's lots of explanations, but then they just start getting really complicated and long and pretty much impossible to remember because there's all these kind of like, in this case, you'd use this and this is why. And in this other case, you'd use that and that's why. And you really can't remember all that. You really can't just build that into your programming. You really have to feel it. And that's what native speakers will tell you. I don't know how to explain it. It just, I just feel it. I don't know the reason, um, and that's how a native speaker works. You just feel it. And really, as you begin to practice the language, you begin to feel it yourself. I hear a lot of patterns, sentence patterns, and just the ways that native speakers talk. And then the, you know, the ga or the wa will just kind of flow automatically. Um, but before you're getting to that point, and even with, you know, as the sentences get more uh, more complex and longer and more involved, you begin to st still struggle, you know. And the same thing happens with, with Japanese people studying English, especially with the and uh. Um, so I really love that, sub uh, that shortcut is wa is as for x, as for this. Okay, and ga is the grammatical subject. So a good example is, you know, I've always heard, you know, xx ga ski desu ka, do you like? You know, and almost always, uh, some exceptions, almost always, always hear it's ga, like biru ga ski desu ka. Do you like beer? You know, and why isn't why isn't it wa? It's like if you say biru wa ski desu ka, it sets up contrast. As for beer, do you like it? Um, and that might make sense if you say wine ga ski desu ka, and then you're talking about liking wine. Do you like wine? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of like it. You know, do, how about you? Um, and then, birua, you know, oh, as for beer, do you like that? So you're talking about wine, and then now you're switching over, contrast, switching over to beer. You covered the wine topic, now let's switch over to beer. Birua ski desu ka? Let's switch, the, let's switch the topic of conversation here. We talked about wine, now let's switch it over to beer. Birua. And I think that's often why you hear stuff like, sore wa? You often hear a pause with wa. Sore wa, as for that? Um, or sore wa ne. You know, you hear these pauses. As for that, hmm. Um, or even with people's names. Takashi-san wa. You know, we talked about me. Now let's switch the sub, uh, switch the topic uh, of the conversation over to you. To Takashi-san. Takashi-san wa. So, you know, biru ga suki desu ka? Do you like beer? Ah, suki desu. Takashi-san wa? 
you know, and then you switch it back over to them, and it kind of has that as for as for you, as for Takashi song, as for wine, um, and it sets up that kind of contrast, that kind of bouncy feeling, you know, in the uh, in the uh, conversation. I know we're talking about this now. Let's bounce over to this, you know. And I think that's really often, you know, you hear that. You hear those pauses with sore wa ne, Takashi-san wa, you know, when you, we switch it over, you know. Um, and I was often really confused by a simple subject, uh, a simple sentence pattern that has both the subject with ga and a topic with wa. I was always, like, really confused by this because if there's one or the other, you're like, okay, they just picked one. They pick ga over wa or whatever in this sentence. Um, but when there's both, I was really confused by this. Um, and like, Remi-chan wa ashi ga nagai desu. I was like, what? Remi-chan is the topic, and then the grammatical subject is her legs are long. Okay. So this one confused me, but it's really convenient when you think of wa as translating directly to English as, uh, over to as for. As for Remy Chang, she's got long legs. And, you know, the subject of the sentence is her legs. Legs are long. <laughs> um, and as for Remy Chang, her legs are long. So that's a great way to translate that because it really it really conveniently explains what the wa is doing there. As for Remy Chang, her legs are long. And I was always thinking like, you know, like Remy Chang's legs are long. That would be more like Remy Chang no ashiga nagai, you know, like her, the possessive, you know, and that confused me. Why don't you just use no there? And that's really what the difference and the nuance would be. Like you can say that and often... I avoided this uh, sentence pattern because I was afraid of it. I would just say like something like Remichan no, you know, the possessive. Remichan no ashiganagai. So her legs are long. Uh, and use the possessive, so I would avoid that. But now I finally kind of grasp what is going on with this sentence pattern with the wa and the ga in the same sentence. And if you think of it as as for, and so often you really hear that contrast. You're jumping to a new topic, um, or you're throwing in something there, um, and that's what the wa is doing. And it's a really, it's not 100%, of course. There's always going to be exceptions. That happens in English, of course. You know, we got our irregular verb patterns. Um, but it's a really conveniently well-packaged way to think of wa versus ga. So that has helped me a lot. Thank you, Jay Rubin, for that. Um, and at the end of the episode, I'll, I'll cover some other study aids that have kind of helped me as well, of really kind of uh, conveniently thinking about the language in these really well-packaged tips. Because, I mean, you can read chapter after chapter after chapter of explanation, but man, it just doesn't stick with me. You know, it's just hard to remember all this and really build it mentally into your programming, you know? And if you think of wa as, you know, as for this, and you hear the sentence patterns that native speakers are, are using, it just really connects well. And you begin to kind of think like a native speaker where you're just automatically throwing in the wa or the ga, and you don't really have to think about it. And that is really the key to fluency. Uh, moving on, kanji. Oh, yeah, kanji. You hear that? You hear that grumbling in the background? That's the that's the douchebag that lives in my building with the scooter uh, that has the modified muffler. <laughs> I don't know if the mic picked that up. Hopefully it did. 
Uh, moving to kanji. Oh, yeah. Foreigners hate this. And I'm talking Western foreigners, of course. Chinese people are blessed. You know, <laughs> they get, you know, they study uh, Chinese characters and then it translates well. You know, and a lot of Chinese people <laughs> argue with me. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, it doesn't help. I'm like, it does. It does, man. It's kind of like, I guess it's like studying Latin, you know, and then you study Italian and French, you know, any of the Latin-based, you know, languages, even Spanish, and it helps. Studying Latin helps. It's a nice base. Studying Chinese, uh, if you already know Chinese, Mandarin, whatever, uh, the, char- the, ri- the, the reading and the writing, it, it is a huge advantage. You got that base there, and I do not have that base uh, the only base I really have that helps me is the fact that a lot of katakana words are borrowed from English, and that's really the, <laughs> the only thing I got. But the Chinese characters, kanji, we always struggle with this. This is a common theme you hear. Oh, man, I like Japanese, but that kanji, oh, God, that writing system. Um, few things that have helped me. <laughs> There's really not much here. You just got to buckle down and, and fucking study this shit. Is... Um, Number one, if you can write it, you, you can read it, okay? So try writing them. And this goes against um, when I was studying psychology, is that rote memorization, just doing it a hundred times, is really not that deep um, in terms of memory encoding. Uh, engaging all your senses, your sight, your sound, even your smell, um, all of that with you know, sort of mnemonics to remember things really helps better. And that is true. But I do find that writing the kanji, you get the the physical connection with writing it with your hand. Um, you get the muscle memory working there. It does help you remember it. And fortunately, with the, you know, with technology, with smartphones and computers and the predictive texting which is unfortunately hurting the literacy of Japanese people. But it is a shortcut, and it does help, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit I rely on it a lot, where it's so rare where I find myself in a situation where I have to actually handwrite kanji uh, with my hand. I mean, really, the only, the only case I can think of is, like, my name and my address, <laughs> you know, when I'm writing it down on some kind of address label. Um, but other than that, it's pretty rare when I'm in a situation where I have to actually write something with my hand. And even when I am in a situation like that, I can bust out my smartphone and I'm like, what's that kanji again? You know, and I write it down. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, there it is. And you pop it up on the screen and you can kind of copy it down. So that helps. But, you know, if you can write the thing from memory with your hand, that's the deepest level of memory encoding you have of those characters. And that's really the best level to get to. So write them down. I get some smartphone apps, you know, that, that pra- have you practice writing uh, the characters. And really the point here is I personally do not like studying individual characters. It's just, uh, it's impossible for me to remember it that way. I don't like studying individual characters. And it just, to me, it seems like a very unnatural way to remember kanji. Because kanji appears in words. Um, and that's really the best way, at least for me, for studying it. I like to study words. And then when you learn a word with these kanji in it, then it can translate over to other words. You know, you, you learn the word for chicken and all the diff- different kinds of chicken dishes that are on a menu. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So these are chicken dishes. And then you can kind of, you know, figure out the other, other chicken stuff. 
Um, and I like to study with words. Words to me are just a lot more concrete, a lot easier to imagine. They're a lot, you know, more colorful. So I like to study words. So I find some smartphone apps that give me some words. They tell me the word in uh, hiragana, and then you got to write out the kanji for that word. And that to me is a very, a, you know, a more vibrant, a deeper way to study the kanji. I hate the ones that just give you a character, you know, and then the pronunciations. I like to learn those things through words, or, or even better, through uh, through sentences. Um, there's a there's one app I have not yet tried. Uh, it's on like my, my wish list um, that maybe I'm gonna give a try. And another thing is actually I miss. I still have an old school PDA, you know, like a Windows Mobile PDA with the stylus. I find that thing has really helped me with with uh, studying kanji because writing it with a stylus is just a lot more natural than writing it with your finger, you know, on these modern smartphones. Um, I know you can get a stylus for you know the finger, you know, like for the iPhone. It, it just it never seems to match as well with the uh, uh, the natural feeling I had with the uh, actual stylus on my old school Windows Mobile PDA. So sometimes I'll still bust that out to study uh, to study the kanji. But really the tip is, you know, try writing it and study words, study uh, sentences, sentence patterns with the kanji. Uh, don't really do the individual characters. It just never really works out for me. Uh, the one app that sticks out for me is called King Kanji, and this is an old school app. This thing goes way back. If you Google it, it's still up there. Uh, but I don't think it's ever been ported over to, to the smartphone platform. Uh, it, this is the, this is the uh, program I use on my uh, old school PDA. Um, and maybe it's been ported or something, but uh, that's really uh, been helping me a lot uh, and still does. It's helped me for years and it still does. It simply just gives you some words, um, uh, some vocabulary lists, and then you got to write the kanji. And then it'll tell you if you're right or not. And it'll check your stroke order. So as you're writing it, it'll tell you if you're on the right path. So that really helps as well. Um, that's really the, the one. I am looking for newer apps. There's a few for the iPhone uh, that I have on my blog uh, that they're okay. Uh, the thing I don't like about them is even when they give you words, they will give you the first character and you do that one and then you flip the screen over to the second character. And then to me, that's really unnatural. Just give me the whole word and have me write it. And I know it doesn't fit well on that little screen, but man, that's where the stylus really comes in. And I don't know, maybe maybe it would be nice to have an app that actually says we really recommend you use a stylus with this, because that that really does help. That natural feeling of writing with you know, uh, like a writing object in your hand. Um, writing short blog passages also helps uh, me. Um, so I handwrite out a blog, uh, maybe in Japanese, uh, something pretty short, because if it's too long, I get frustrated and give up. So you got to start short uh, if you're going to do this and then build up over time to longer and longer passages. And then, you know, I'll have a, a native Japanese speaker, a friend or a teacher uh, check them for me. And that has really helped me with the kanji. And you'll find kanji is just sort of like flashlights. They light up and you'll be walking around. And you're like, oh, dude, I could finally read that sign. I could finally read everything on the menu. And that really encourages me to keep going. Um, because these like flashlights just turn on and certain things will just light up stuff that was just a fog to me or I just didn't get. I'm like, oh, that's this fire extinguisher now. <laughs> now I know where the fire extinguisher is. Thank you, Kanji. Uh, now I can save lives in case of a fire. Yeah. Uh, so walking through the train station, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I, you know, lights up. These flashlights light up. And, it, and I really like that.
Um, so reading whole passages or even books, children's books, uh, books initially uh, directed towards foreigners learning Japanese. Uh, those are simpler passages. So when you're getting started out, you might not want to jump into newspapers and things directed towards native speakers, but maybe things like for children or uh, definitely for the foreigners learning Japanese. Those are simpler passages, and they start you out easy, and they start introducing the kanji gradually. Um, and that's what a, a Japanese uh, teacher did for me. She started introducing these passages, and then I'd read these. And they, she started building up the difficulty so that, um, you know, I felt like I was accomplishing something. You know, she started out really simple passages. Um, and then they started getting more difficult, like things about the history of Sony, you know, and stuff like that. And I felt like, oh, wow, I'm really reading, like, Japanese, like real Japanese. Um, and that's one problem with children's books. You know, you're an adult, and if you're reading about, you know, C-Spot Run, <laughs> it, it gets boring, and it also is kind of sad. <laughs> you feel pathetic. You're like, oh my god, I'm reading about spot running. Oh dear, and I'm learning colors today. It's like, oh god. And, you know, they often sometimes people do recommend, you know, stuff for children, and it can help. But the problem I do have with this is I feel, I feel like an idiot. I feel ridiculous. You know, whereas things directed towards adults, foreign adults learning Japanese, you don't have that problem so much. They, they don't assume you're an idiot <laughs> yet. Um, and they're not teaching you colors of the rainbow, you know, and jumping, you know, and, and using the toilet. Oh, let's use the toilet today. Okay, children, and you, and David, you use the toilet too. Can you Can you use the toilet? Are you still using diapers? Okay, let's grow up here. So, yeah, I would start, actually, I would recommend a little bit more of the, uh, the, stuff, recommend, uh, the stuff directed towards, you know, uh, targeting the foreigners learning Japanese. And then build up from there. Uh, there's apps and stuff that will build up from there, and then they'll start giving you stuff that is, you know, what native speakers would read. And it, it really, it, it, it gives you that sense of accomplishment. You know, you're, you're reading a whole passage, you're reading books. You know, and that, that really does help. Uh, so that's the stuff I've learned with kanji. And kanji is a bitch. Uh, I, and people who just absorb kanji, you know, like the people who have the gift of language, uh, first of all, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> we, we covered that. <laughs> F you. Uh, but yeah, I really do envy you. People who just can remember this stuff. I mean, even native speakers of Japanese. Japanese people forget kanji. And you see them busting out the smartphone and tracing the stroke order in the air with their finger. And they're like, what is it? You know, this happens a lot with the young people, you know. And the old people are always making fun of the young generation, you know, criticizing them for, for forgetting the kanji. Um, so thank God for smartphones. Uh, that helps me out. That's probably why I haven't been fired from my job yet, is uh, online translation software and websites and uh, predictive texting. Yeah, that's why I still have a job. <laughs> Thank God for the email stuff. You can take your time with it. So that's the cool thing. Okay, so practice those tips. Uh, next, Kago. Oh, yeah. we Don't we hate Kago? Oh, yeah. The honorific, uh, the humble, the, this long language, you know, these different levels. Uh, I am humbling myself before you, my honored emperor. I'm raising the other person up. I am lowering myself down. That's always the way you got to do it. And God, I'm so glad I don't have a sales job because I would be fired from that so quick. I would be fired from that so fast. Here's the door, buddy. I do not ever want a sales job in Japan. 
And foreigners that have sales jobs in Japan, even, you know, clerks in stores, and they're doing the Kago. I respect you, man. I respect you. Uh, those sales jobs where you're doing sales calls and talking to, to uh, customers directly, I respect you. I get fired from that so quickly. Um, and the the best thing I've learned with Kago, the little Kago that I do use at work, you know, because it's, it's nice to be polite. You know, Japanese people have some expectations. <laughs> when you first meet someone, they're not going to be your best buddy. You can't give them a hug and a kiss on the cheek. You know, they'll forgive you for that, especially if you don't look Asian. Uh, but yeah, it might freak them out a little bit. So the Kago definitely helps. Uh, the, the way I learn Kago is not through any kind of rules or here's how to convert that, you know, from relatively polite speech to extremely polite Kago. Um, it, it just never sticks with me. Uh, really, the way I do this is through sentence patterns. And in fact, you you feel this, I feel this, with the way Japanese speak, uh, speak Keigo, is it is all protocol. And just think of Keigo as that. It's all protocol. You may not like it, but you just got to get it over with and spit it out. It's like R2-D2 um, and C-3PO. Which one was <laughs> R2-D2? Um, C-3PO, right? He's the protocol droid, right? He's all about protocol. You got to follow these protocols and you just got to spit it out and you don't think about the meaning. You don't think about it. You just spit it out. And this is often the way I feel uh, when I'm speaking Kago. And when I go to Lawson or a convenience store and they're speaking Kago back to me, I can tell it's just, it's just spit it out. It's just protocol. Japanese people, especially the younger generation, they view Kago like this. Just spit it out. I don't care what it means. I don't think about it. We just have to say this to the customer. God, spit it out. Okay? They don't really mean it. And you can feel. Kago almost, it, it's, it defeats its purpose, its own purpose. Because in this day and age, they don't really mean it, mostly. Especially, I'm, so, I'm speaking especially about the younger generations. And like those working convenience stores, they don't care. They don't want to do it. They don't really care about the meaning. They just have to. And they roll their eyes and they spit it out. And it defeats the purpose because it makes the Kago, which is supposed to be really polite, it makes it rude. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I just find that funny. I learn it through sentence patterns. And, you know, there's not much vocabulary diversity here. It's just protocol fluff. And once you learn the patterns, you can just sort of insert them and make them more polite to make them the Kago version. You know, and a good version of a, a good example of this is Osewarinate Orimas, you know, which is I say on the phone all the time. Osewarinate Orimas. And um, you just practice that expression. Osewarinate Orimas. When I first heard it and I was learning this expression, I was like, oh, sewa ni natte orimasu. And I asked for a translation, like which each word, what each word in that means. You know, thank you always for your help or whatever. Don't think about the meaning because it'll just confuse you even more. Just memorize the pattern because it doesn't change much. You can often just inject it. You hear the same things over and over again, especially on the phone. You hear that. In email, you know, you start, you know, nani nani sama, 
you know, Tanaka-sama, o sewa になっております you know, Pabrina to moshimasu, you know, and you, you just, you have these patterns, name plus moshimasu, you know, and all these kinds of things. And once you learn those patterns, you learn these sentence structures, it's very, you know, Uh, it's much easier to just use keigo、uh, more naturally. I don't really think much about the actual meaning or the translation of what the keigo is actually saying. It'll just confuse you even more. It gets really confusing because it's so polite. What direction is it going and all that?、Uh, who's itadakiing and what? You know? So there's not much diverse vocabulary here. The direction can be confusing. Who's doing what? Uh, but the saving grace here is that the words are different. Itadaku is you. You're partaking in something, okay? You're eating something, you know, you're, you're partaking in someone doing a favor for you, which can confuse you. But you are pretty much, you're doing the itadakiing. You're, you're doing the itadaku, okay? You don't really want to say someone else, you know, the person you're speaking to is itadakiing, because、uh, that's going to be rude. You got the words for you. And we got the words for them. And again, it's just vocabulary, and there's really not that much. So once you got the words for you, you got the words for them,、uh, you can just kind of insert you know, the different topics in there, you know, depending on the situation. And there's really not much situations you're using Kago. You're using it with customers, you're using it with you know, your superiors, you know, your bosses. You know, somewhat, you know, older people, you know, maybe your girlfriend's family, your, your boyfriend's family, you know, and you're using Sama. You know, there's not too much vocabulary. You just got to remember vocabulary for me, vocabulary for you, you know. And as you practice those patterns,、uh, you start getting, uh, you, you start getting uh, uh, used to it.、Uh, really, the most confusing one for me of all the Keigo. Is like the skawasete itadakimasu. You know, that's me. So I'm doing,、uh, I will partake in you allowing me to use this. You know, I will use this. So again, you're itadakiing, that's you you're talking about.、Uh, you're partaking in something, but you're partaking in them allowing you to use it. So again, perfect example. You get the translation. And it just confuses you even more. But when you, when you just you hear that same verb, I would just learn that pattern. Because you're not going to hear a real diverse amount of verbs inserted into that pattern. It's often use, allow me to use, allow me to take a day off of work. You know, there's not too many different verbs you're going to stick in there. Because the situations where you're using Kago are fairly limited. you know. So I would just learn the patterns. And I don't even think about what, what the translation is. So those are tips for Kago.、Uh, last, a few little、uh, one point lesson tips. Here we go.、Uh, find a model. okay? This is the big thing I find is I imitate coworkers. I imitate celebrities, and most of all, I imitate Japanese teachers. I had this Japanese teacher when I was first learning Japanese in LA. Her Japanese was just immaculate. It was heavenly. It was like butter.、Um, God, it just, it just felt like warm butter, how beautiful her pronunciation was. She really made the Japanese language just, just, just so attractive to me. It's just like warm butter rolling off of bagels <laughs> to me. And,、um, 
I find a model um, and I imitate uh, the model. Uh, often you, you can find celebrities you like or newscasters. Often newscasters have the most beautiful Japanese. Uh, people who do voiceovers uh, in Japanese or even announcements in like uh, a department store. <laughs> you know, Honjitsuwa <laughs> itadaki. You know, You know, one thing you got to be really careful here, though, is um, careful with the gender appropriateness when it comes to imitating the native speakers. If you're a guy, you might want to find some guy models. If you're a girl, you might want to find some girl models, of course, because if you're going to imitate the opposite sex, your Japanese is going to sound girly uh, or it's going to sound really manly when it shouldn't be. Um, and this happens a lot. Uh, I'm a dude, and a lot of Japanese teachers are women, and you'll go out with a girl, your girlfriend, and you'll you'll speak just like your girlfriend. Uh, you'll sound real femme, real feminine, um, and people will make fun of you. And I, I read a book recently on conversational Japanese, and it was talking about the gender appropriateness. And I was like, oh my god, I've been doing that for like over a decade now. I've been talking like a girl. Okay. And one huge hurdle you have with learning Japanese, uh, which I always point this out to Japanese people, is they are too polite. They are too polite to correct you. <laughs> they will just, <laughs> they'll put on the tataimai, you know, the mask, and they will just keep a straight face. But inside, they are giggling their asses off at your, at your fem <laughs> feminine Japanese, at your messed up Japanese. And that is a huge challenge that the foreigners face is the Japanese people will never correct them. And that's why we have to pay a teacher uh, to correct us. And we have to force that teacher over and over again. Please correct me. You know, you have to be boot camp with me. You have to be, you know, <laughs> what is it? Colonel slaughter, <laughs> corporal slaughter with Japanese. You gotta be a total boot camp uh, instructor with me. Uh, when it comes to correcting me, because you're not going to get that from a lot of native speakers, your friends, even your girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, your family, your your, your in-laws, whatever. They're never going to correct you. They're just going to keep giggling inside. And that kind of sucks, man. You know, that's where the politeness of Japanese really backfires. That kind of sucks. So careful with the gender appropriate speech. Uh, you, you, you might want to find models that are of your same gender. Um, women, I find... Um, Unfortunately for me, since I'm a guy, women, I generally find, speak more beautiful Japanese. Um, but men should not always imitate it because you're going to sound feminine. But when it comes to pronunciation and just, uh, you know, the beauty of the Japanese language, uh, especially when it's spoken, women just do a better job. And that's true, I find, in English as well. Uh, American women, they speak better English than, than men. You know, and that's true. That's true all over the place. Japanese men, blah, 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 and I'm like, Hi. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's hard. It's a challenge to find a guy that actually speaks really, uh, really beautiful Japanese. Um, but once you, you know, that's why I, I often target newscasters because they speak guys, women, or whatever. They speak beautiful Japanese, and it, it makes it makes a, a beautiful model to follow. Um. So yeah, be careful with the whole sounding like your girlfriend <laughs> or your or your very feminine teacher. If you're a guy, I don't know, find like a teacher who's really like masculine, <laughs> talks like a dude, that would help. Um, diversify, get lots of different models. Uh, it'll help you kind of diversify your sentence patterns. Even native speakers have favorite expressions and favorite ways of speaking. 
And often I find myself really latching on to one or the other. Uh, one person doesn't really always satisfy me. I really connect with the, you know, the, this expression that this person uses or an expression that another person uses. Um, so diversify. Um, and I have a funny story about this. A coworker um, often reacted with Majide, which apparently is very feminine. I didn't know this. And I, I, I connected with that. And I found myself often saying as a reaction, it means seriously? Really? Seriously? Majide? And I said it in a really feminine way, too. And it got me in trouble. And people, someone finally stopped me. I think it was actually a foreign woman and said, you got to stop doing that, man. It's, it's really femme. Um, and often the people who correct your Japanese will not be Japanese people because they're too polite to do so. It'll be other foreigners that speak really uh, a lot better than you do. Really fluent, really peta peta uh, foreigners will correct you. And that helps you. Other friends that are off, you know, other foreign friends you have that are better at Japanese than you are, those are really good models too. They will be brutal. They will correct your Japanese. So that often helps too as a model. Even though they're not native speakers, they're better at Japanese than you are. And so that, to me, is a role model. Um, they'll correct you. Um, oftentimes, too, when uh, you're imitating a model, imitate the breaks and the pauses. Uh, this really helps you sound natural. It's amazing. Even when you're speaking and you break up, you know, you're thinking, don't say um in English when you're speaking in Japanese. It'll sound it'll make you sound really foreign. Instead, what you want to do is you speak. Oh, you can hear my daughter in the background. Sorry about that. She's saying tadaima over and over. Okari. I had a student that did this in English, and it made him sound amazing. He sounded really at home in the language. It was almost like a trick, because it made him. I think I made it. I think it made him sound better than he really was. Uh, but he was always going. Um, let me see. And oh, when he did that, I was like, damn! It just it raised him up to a new level. And uh, when you do that in Japanese, it really it tricks the Japanese native speakers into thinking you're way better. <laughs> you just say you say ano eto between and uh, man, it really to them to their ear it makes you sound way better than you really are. It tricks the hell out of them. And I had a student. This is a funny story. A 16 year old uh, high school girl. Um, she uh, she was my student in English, and then she took a year off. She went a year abroad in Australia. And it's so interesting when uh, people do this, students do this, because you see after they come back after a year, the incredible change. Uh, oftentimes, sometimes it's not so incredible because they'll study in a place like Vancouver, which is like the worst. It's like the black hole for English study. Because apparently in Vancouver, there's a lot of Japanese people. And oftentimes the students will go there and they'll hang out with Japanese people the whole time for the whole year and they will learn almost no English. And they'll come back and they're like even worse. <laughs> they're even worse off. Uh, but no, she studied in Australia and it, it did. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a total change. It was, it was amazing. And she came back and her English was so much better. But it was funny because it sounded like an Australian boy. <laughs> she was like, hello, David. 
<laughs> how you doing? And it sounded so weird to me because it was the sound was coming out of a 16-year-old Japanese girl with like double ponytails. You know, the whole schoolgirl outfit. And it was just mind-blowing. It was a total mind fuck to me. I'm like, whoa, what happened to you? You're an Australian dude. Hey, good day, David. It was like that really guttural, like deep boyish Australian accent that she had. And I said to her, um, did you have a boyfriend in Australia? She's like, yeah, I wanted to take him home with me in my suitcase. <laughs> I was like, whoa, we got it. Okay, your English is amazing. Okay, it, it, it is in a totally new level now. Okay, you just blew out your, your existing level. You're totally new level now. But let's work on that accent. Okay, we got to get you. We got to feminize your, uh, your English a little bit there. Sounds real boyish. Um, but, so that was kind of messing with me. Uh, but the same thing can happen to you. To, uh, to you, Japanese speaker. <laughs> you student of Japanese. So be careful. You can sound real girly. Okay, or real boyish in Japanese, and that same effect, it's going to have that same effect on the Japanese people, like, whoa, what is up with this dude, real girly, <laughs> you know, be careful with that, so, uh, find the model, okay, and diversify, and find some models that you respect, uh, that are of your same gender, because <laughs> that'll definitely help you, uh, with the uh, appropriateness of your speaking. Uh, last but not least, study aids. The last section I want to cover here. Um, and, you know, and recently I've been really into English explanations of Japanese. And I used to think that these uh, English explanations of Japanese were bad for study. You know, that there's kind of like a crutch or something you're really relying on that you should really just throw out. Um, but man, I gotta say, there's value in it. So if you're learning the language in Japanese entirely, you know, a lot of people say, you know, there's a lot of value in that, of course. You, you think like a native, right? And you're, you're immersing yourself entirely in the language. You're not relying on the English as a crutch. But man, I gotta say, I used to think that that was the way to go. And that was the only way to go. And that English explanations were just going to uh, really hold me back. But I, I disagree. I think both types of study studying English explanations of Japanese, um, as well as immersing yourself entirely in the native Japanese, I think both of them have advantages. So I've been really into that recently. I've been picking up books and some smartphone apps uh, that explain Japanese in English because they've really opened my eyes in certain ways. Because if you're learning this language later in life as an adult... I don't think you're ever going to really be capable of picking it up like a native. Your accent certainly is never going to be native. You lose that around age 12 or 13. Uh, so if you're studying the language well into adulthood, you're, you're, you're fucked. You're never going to get that native accent. And that's fine. I'm happy with that. I'm, I can accept that. Um, but I do find that these English explanations of Japanese have cleared up just a lot of confusion that have lingered for years. And there's confusion that really you're never going to understand, at least me, that struggles with this language um, so much. It's really, I'm never satisfied. I never really get the explanation if it's given to me in Japanese. You know, I'm a non-native speaker. I just can't understand the native Japanese explanation of these elements of their own language. 
And when it's given really clearly and really well done, if it's a really well done explanation in English, I'm like, whoa, that's a cool way to think about it. And it just really lights things up and really clears up the fog. Um, and the, the the best example I have is that wa versus ga. Wa is as for. Oh, okay, that's what's going on there. You know, and Japanese people can just explain it and explain it in Japanese until the cows come home. But I, I just still don't get it, you know. And oftentimes, Japanese people have the same problem. They want to, you know, I was giving them an English class, and the rule is it has to be only in English. And a lot of students want that. You know, uh, it sounds really cool on paper, and there are advantages to it. But then after class, they run over to a, a Japanese-speaking teacher, a native Japanese-speaking uh, uh, Japanese teacher that also is an English teacher, and they get the explanation in Japanese, and then they go, oh, that's what's going on. So they want it too. And you know what? I want it. There are advantages to it. So I wouldn't shun it entirely. I used to, and I regret that. Um, and I wish I had picked up these books and these smartphone apps years and years ago. Because the English explanations have really enlightened me. Um, so, yeah, there's that. And like I said, the big problem is, you know, Japanese people are too polite to correct you. So that helps you a lot, too. The Japanese people aren't going to correct you. So an English an English explanation, oh, that's what's going on. Finally, I get something clear and direct of what's going on here. You know, and, and like I said before, you, you get a, uh, a fellow foreigner that's really good at Japanese, better than you. They can say, oh, no, no, what's going on here is this. And they explain it to you in English. And you're like, whoa. Thank you for that. That has cleared up years of confusion. So don't shun English explanations. They definitely have a huge advantage over just studying exclusively in Japanese. Um, so that's a study aid I really have I've really latched onto, especially recently. Um, a few examples of this. Um, human Japanese. Uh, this is a smartphone app I found, and it is an English explanation of the language, of the mechanics of the language, and a lot of things that are going on in Japanese. And this guy is a genius at expl explaining this. If you Google a human Japanese, it's in the app stores and whatever. There's two levels. I really He does a beginner and intermediate. I'm really hoping for advanced. The guy has the gift of explaining this language in English, and it's amazing. He also covers wa versus ga, uh... And he does a really good job of it. Real succinct, really clear, really short, which helps. Because once the explanation gets too long, I just forget it. I can't remember all that. Uh, and he does it really clearly, really concisely, really well done. Uh, props to Human Japanese. That app has really, uh, is really, uh, I really got my money's worth out of that guy. Uh, Making Sense of Japanese. I mentioned this one at the beginning of the podcast. This is a book by Jay Rubin. Uh, it's fairly academic. A lot of times it goes on too long, in my opinion. It's very academic. I think it's really written for people studying translation. If you really want to get extremely accurate translations of the language. I do not have such aspirations. <laughs> so a lot of his essays in here um, are a little too much for me. But his explanations of some things I've struggled with are really, really well done. So it is a valuable book. Um, but be prepared for an, an academic hayride uh, with that one. Uh, another one I really like, uh, last but not least, is it's uh, Tai Kim's Guide to Learning Japanese. This is an app. 
Um, you'll find it in the app stores. Uh, it's on my iPhone. I don't know if it's in the Android. I think it is. Uh, I think both Human Japanese and Tai Kim's Guide to uh, to Learning Japanese are in both. Uh, Tai Kim's is free, so really you can't lose with that one. It's a free app. Uh, it's another one of those that goes through chapters that explains things in English. Uh, again, really well done, really concise. Uh, clears up a lot of the fog I've had for years with this language. So props to these apps and book. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I hope you have enjoyed these tips and shortcuts for learning Japanese. Um, please like me on Facebook, uh, iTunes, leave your comments. Uh, go to japanatron.com. That will take you to the podcast section of my main site uh, that has my blog. That's mondaiji.com. Uh, japanatron.com is basically a shortcut to the mondaiji.com. So either one, you get to the same place. And uh, like me, review me, give me feedback, uh, tell me what else you want to hear. That's one reason, actually, I don't update uh, this podcast so much, is I just kind of wait to be inspired with a episode. I don't want to just talk about what I ate for breakfast or how I, how my coffee was that morning. Some people do podcasts like that, like every day or every week. Mine come out uh, not so often because I wait for a good topic to kind of come to me, something that will help people or something that's interesting to listen to. And uh, I don't know, I think my breakfast this morning is not really that, not really podcast worthy, okay? Unless I eat, like, a bowl of dog food or something. So, um, thank you for listening. Uh, you have a good day. Alright? Toodles! Welcome to Japanatron. Japanatron, Japanatron. Japanatron, Japanatron. You have received this transmission from the Comedy Podcast Network. For more shows, visit ComedyPodcastNetwork.com.